Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, continuing our conversation about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Now today, we're in part two of a podcast entitled Making Ministry Marriage Work. My guest on the podcast today, again, as she was last week, is my wife, Anne. Anne, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's a delight to make this podcast with you. We've taught this material on a number of occasions in conferences, seminars, and different settings. And so we're glad to put it together in this podcast format today. So before we move into today's teaching material, in case you didn't hear last week or you just need a review, let me summarize what we talked about in the first part of the podcast. First of all, I laid out two broad principles that are important to understand about making ministry marriage work. And the first one is that all the things that you teach and preach for other married couples to do, you do them as well. Ministry marriage in some ways is not any different than any other marriage. We're still responsible to do the same things to build our marriages that we advise, counsel, or direct other people to do. So... Practice what you preach. Implement what you teach. Do what you tell others to do. That's step one. And then I also said another overarching idea is that many professions, not just ministry, have special challenges that impact marriage. For example, uh, doctors, military spouses, coaches, nurses, truck drivers. These are all illustrations I gave last week of people who are in occupations that have demands that impact marriage. And so as a ministry leader, when you complain or whine or tell people in your congregation that ministry is demanding and impacting your marriage in a negative way, many of your listeners or your followers will hear you and think, is this guy completely out of touch? Is, is, is she completely disconnected from my reality? Because your profession, ministry, while it does have some unique demands that it places on your marriage, is no different than other professions that also place demands on marriage. So I'll say it this way. Let's get over ourselves just a little bit. We don't have it any harder than anybody else does. Now, having said those two things, we turned our attention last week to some distinctives about ministry marriage. What are some of those unique challenges that we face as ministry leaders in our marriages, and what can we do about them? Because just as I've said, just like doctors and attorneys and nurses and coaches and truck drivers have to do some specific things to limit the impact of their occupation or profession on their marriage, and particularly to limit any negative impact, we have to do the same thing as ministry leaders. So what are some of those key things? Well, last week we covered two of them. First, I said, be yourself and be the couple God made you to be. And we discussed what it means to Resist stereotyping are the ideals that other people may have for us in the role that we've been given to develop a model of ministry marriage that really works for us. And Ann and I both talked about some illustrations and stories about how that's played out in our lives. And then second, I talked about setting boundaries, separating ministry and personal life. And we gave you some illustrations of what that looks like in our relationship as well. We ended that presentation by talking about some of the practical things we do to create these boundaries, 
Uh, we set boundaries about the days we will work and the days we'll be off, about the times when we're working that will be available and the times we're working that we won't be available. We, we talked about setting time to be alone together and to do things mutually that we enjoy. Uh, gave a list of some of those kinds of things uh, for us as a couple. And as a part of that, uh, part of setting boundaries is disconnecting from technology when you're off from work and spending time together as a couple. I know this is so difficult for some of you to hear, but turn off your phone. Stop looking at your email. Uh, disengage from social media. Actually spend time with your spouse, uh, watching a movie, enjoying a meal, taking a walk, having a conversation over a jigsaw puzzle. These are the kinds of things that you do when you disconnect and really focus on each other. And then... As you do all of these things, you have to have realistic expectations. And Anne actually wrapped up last week by talking about those and how those have played out in some of the conversations she's had with seminary wives who are uh, preparing for and already concerned about the impact ministry might have on their marriage. Well, with that foundation from last week, let's now move into a couple of other big ideas that will help us to make ministry marriage work. Number three on my list is this. Manage the expectations you have of marriage in the ministry. Now, Ann, you said this last week. Having wrong expectations really sets a person up for failure and disappointment, doesn't it? That is so true. And um, every person, I think, has to work through some unrealistic expectations, both in marriage and in ministry. And I'm, I'm no exception to that rule. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we all are when we first start out. But, you know, the Bible warns about this in Proverbs thirteen twelve. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. I would paraphrase that this way. When you get your hopes up or place your hopes on the wrong object, if you will, you're going to feel bad about that, be depressed about that, be discouraged about that. You're going to be heart sick. So the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. Unrealistic expectations bring discouragement, uh, dismay, depression. So it's important for us to have realistic expectations to have right hopes. And I think that is a particularly important in several areas in ministry marriages. Let me give you three to think about. Number one, you have to have realistic expectations about money and finance in a ministry marriage. If you're in a ministry marriage, you will have a limited income. You are, frankly, going to live on less than other people with similar education, similar job responsibilities, maybe even similar backgrounds. After I'd been in ministry for about 10 years, I had a friend who was a tax, uh, a tax attorney, and uh, as a gift to me each year, he did my income taxes. One year I was complaining about how much I had to pay in income tax. And he said, just stop complaining. I paid more in income tax this year than you made in salary. Now, this fellow and I had gone to high school together. We had both graduated at a 
pretty similar place near the top of our class. He had gone off and earned two law degrees, started a practice, and skyrocketed in his, in his earning potential and made a lot of money. I, on the other hand, also went off uh, and earned two degrees and later three and then went to be a pastor and made enough money that if I had put everything I made into one big check, I could not have paid his income tax bill. You know, you have to make a decision about your expectations related to ministry finance and how it's going to impact your marriage. You're not going to be able to take the trips that other people take. You're not going to buy the gifts other people buy. Uh, You're not going to have the house other people have. And you have to decide to adjust your expectations or you're going to get heart sick. You're going to become bitter, angry, frustrated, and you will start scheming up ways to make more money to the detriment of your relationship. Ann and I have been in some ministry places where the compensation was minimal. Would that be a fair thing to say? (laughs) Fair. We had to make some hard choices in the early years of our marriage. We were determined to live on our income, to avoid debt, to trust God to provide. And because of that, we had to make some difficult choices some days about what we could afford and where we prioritized our spending. But in the context of that, we still had to find ways to creatively spend time together and to make that a priority. And while it may have been very simple things that we were able to do together, we still had to find that time to prioritize our expectations and make those realistic in the context where we were financially. A second area of realistic expectations are what I'll call time demands. You have to be realistic about the fact that ministry has time demands that you simply have to adjust to. Let me give you an example. Ann and I estimate that in the first 15 years we were married, we maybe celebrated our anniversary on the exact day of our anniversary, maybe twice. Here's why. We got married in July. That's the same month that most churches have youth camp, children's camp, or vacation Bible school. And for a season of my life, uh, in my early years, I was very uh, frequently used as a camp pastor for children's camps. And because of that, I was gone for the whole week of our anniversary many times. And Anne wanted me to go. Anne loves children's ministry. She highly values investing in children. And when I was given the opportunity, she would say, well, of course you have to do that. That's a priority for us. So the time demand of actually doing what we felt was a priority took time away from us celebrating our anniversary on the same date. We have a funny thing about that related to Anne's birthday. Anne's birthday is in early June, and it is almost always during the days of the Southern Baptist Convention. And I've told Anne every year, I'll just take you to the SBC for your birthday. That does not fly, fellas, let me just tell you. So instead, Anne and I have had to say, we're going to celebrate your birthday on some other day. 
So every year, Ann and I have this conversation sometime in April or May. We'll look at our summer calendars and I will say, what day do you want your birthday to be this summer? And she'll pick a day. And I'll say, what day do we want our anniversary to be this summer? And we'll pick a day. And we still celebrate. We have a realistic expectation that the job demands of the work that we do is going to infringe even on our birthdays and on our holidays. I forgot to mention this. My birthday is always the second week of October during the trustees meeting at Gateway Seminary. And so both of our birthdays and our anniversary have often been uh, uh, conflicted with ministry demands. So rather than say, oh, the ministry's so horrible and we can't have a, even an anniversary or a birthday because of the ministry and the ministry demands just have to be adjusted because I'm not giving up these special days. We've said, you know what? Let's have a realistic expectation. We still need to celebrate. So we just pick a day. What do you want your birthday to be this year? And I pick a day and she picks a day and we pick a day for anniversary. We lock that date on our schedule. And that's the day that we celebrate our births and our anniversary together. How's that worked for us, Anne, over the years? And I will say sometimes it's a benefit because like we also say that for Valentine's Day. What day do we want to celebrate Valentine's Day this this week? And uh, because it's hardly ever on Valentine's Day, uh, the people, the restaurants aren't as crowded. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good word. In fact, that happened to us this year. Anne is teaching a class this semester at the seminary and her class is on Tuesday nights from six to nine approximately. And, and her class was on Valentine's night. And I said, well, what day do you want Valentine's Day to be this, this year? And so we did. We went out together and had uh, dinner, and, uh, and we laughed about the fact that we were the uh, only ones there celebrating Valentine's because we were a couple of nights off the real day, but that worked out great for us. Here's another realistic expectation area, not only money and time, but the third one is what I'll just call emergency response. You know, in ministry, you occasionally do have to drop everything and make an immediate response. I, I remember uh, when uh, I was the chaplain for the San Francisco Giants, uh, there were a couple of times when players got injured, uh, both times severely enough to be taken to hospitals. Uh, both times I dropped everything and made a quick trip and spent significant time with the player, spouse, and family of the people impacted. That happens sometimes. There are times when pastors and ministry leaders just have to drop everything and go. But what we've learned over the years is not every time that someone claims to have an emergency, is it a real emergency? And we've learned that when we're having those times together, like we've just described, birthdays, anniversaries, or other date nights or other events, It's okay to be disengaged for just a few hours because most of the time, those critical phone calls can wait. And when they can't, we both know that part of being a ministry leader is you got to go. But because they happen infrequently, they're very manageable for us. Now, these are three areas where we have to have realistic expectations, money, time, emergencies. But Anne, in the context of living with these, you've had to deal with another issue, and that's the issue of loneliness. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about what that's like when you're married to someone who does have to deal with some of these issues from time to time and having realistic expectations about this area of being alone or of being by yourself uh, in ministry? 
Yeah, I think early on, one of my unrealistic expectations was um, I just didn't even put it together, which is odd, but <laughs> I didn't even put it together that my husband and I would not sit together in church. Yeah, that's and, just a simple thing. But, you know, we, we've hardly ever sat together in church or gone to church together even. Exactly. We often go in separate cars. I mean, um, you know, we both have ministry responsibilities. And uh, and then, of course, now Jeff is speaking all over the country. Um, and so um, many times we're not even in the same state on Sunday. And so, um, you know, learning to uh, adjust to that and just go to church on my own and not have to feel like that I my husband has to be with me for me to be a part of the church. And uh, yeah, we had a funny story that happened about that. I was a children's director at a church and my husband was traveling and speaking and and so some people that were new in the church uh, I overheard their conversation they said oh yeah Ann's just doing a great job with the children's ministry but we probably need to pray for his hus- her husband I never see him at church yeah. in fact they actually said we need to pray for him to be saved, saved. yeah so and, and there, there may be some people out there who still think of that that of me but most people think I'm saved uh, but they wanted to pray for me to be saved uh, that 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 kind of uh, loneliness, uh, that kind of being alone, that kind of sort of being uh, made to go your own way can be hard mm-hmm. for some people mm-hmm. because they really they really get married thinking we're going to do everything together. We're a partnership. We're a team. We're always going to do things together. And it just doesn't work out in ministry, does it? No, it doesn't. And But, you know, I found that my life is still very full, very rich. And when Jeff is out of town, I plan specifically plan things to do with other people. Um, so that I will have some, you know, people to be around and things to do. And then when he's uh, home, I plan not to do things with other people so that we can uh, have time together. You know, you've used this uh, phrase quite a few times on the podcast last week and this week, and that is about planning and about being intentional about your scheduling and all of that. One of the things that uh, we try to do, of course, because of the kind of work I do, I typically schedule months in advance on some projects and speaking engagements and other things. But one of the things we try to do is what you just said, and that's coordinate our schedules so that uh, there's an ebb and a flow to our work. And so that when you see that I'm having a busy travel season and I'm going to be gone three, four, five, seven days in a row, you try to schedule three to four to five, seven days of meetings and activities and events so that when I come back, you have that same flow back in your schedule. And I sort of try to do the same thing with you. Uh, Although in our particular case, because of my job demands and because of the seminary schedule, that sort of drives our calendar along. But nevertheless, we do talk about how we can have this sort of ebb and flow going on in our relationship together. So we've talked a lot now on this podcast about managing expectations you have of marriage in the ministry. Remember, unrealistic expectations lead to discouragement. The Bible says it, hope deferred makes the heart sick. If you have unrealistic expectations, you're going to be discouraged. You're going to be frustrated. You're probably going to even be angry. So adjust your expectations, bring them into alignment with reality. And on these three key areas, money and time and emergency response, good expectations eliminate a significant amount of disappointment, frustration, anger, and conflict. Well, now let's move on to the fourth big idea and the final one for this two-part podcast, and that is... Nurture your marriage, your ministry marriage, by sharing life around something other than ministry. Now, it's so easy to be consumed with ministry. Man, 
I could work 80 hours a week every week at the seminary, and I know you, and you could work 80 hours a week just on teaching children Sunday school. You love it so much. It's easy to be consumed and let our lives be entirely uh, taken over by the ministry that we do. You know, you and I just uh, recently had a day home together. And at the beginning of that day, I jokingly said, now let's remember, no seminary talk today. And uh, you agreed and laughed and said, absolutely, no seminary talk today. Well, we made it most of the day. And then there was something that came up and we started talking not so much about the seminary, but about a ministry situation. And I forget which one of us, but one of us said, wait a second, we're doing it again. And we had to stop the conversation and say, let's save that one for another day. It's hard to not be consumed with ministry, to be thinking about it 24-7, 365. But you have to learn to nurture your marriage around something other than ministry. Now, let, let's talk about a few of those things. Uh, first of all, we've nurtured our marriage around uh, travel. Uh, we enjoy uh, and have enjoyed taking some trips together. And frankly, we've done more of that after our children left home and we had a little more money to spend on things like that. But we've enjoyed doing that together. Uh, we've in, enjoyed going some places and seeing some things and being able to do that. So that's sort of one extreme of like the big thing we've enjoyed doing together. Another thing we've enjoyed doing together is being with our family and spending time with our children and grandchildren. Um, that has brought a rich, a level of richness to our lives. And we've been able to do that both together and in independently. You oftentimes are able to make trips to see them and do things with them that I'm not able to do. In fact, you are a traveling vacation Bible school teacher. Uh, didn't you teach vacation Bible school in four churches one summer, including <laughs> both churches where our children, our grandchildren uh, are members? Uh, yes, I, I did teach uh, vacation Bible school in my daughter's church, in my daughter-in-law's church, and then also at my own church and another church <laughs> that I loved. And so, yes, that is very true. <laughs> so we have a commitment to we, – we've nurtured our relationship by traveling together and by investing time in our children and grandchildren and particularly making it possible for us to invest time in those ministry uh, settings as well. But we also just enjoy simple things together. Um, we got reconnected doing this during COVID, and that's doing puzzles together. And I think probably since uh, COVID happened in 2020, uh, we've had a puzzle going maybe not every day, but most days since then. We just keep a little table up and keep a puzzle going in our house, and and we'll just sit down and spend an hour just doing it together and talking about different things that we've seen on television or we've read in the news or happened with our families and, and even sometimes about ministry things. But nevertheless, it's just a time to sit down together and spend some time uh, sort of decompressing. And in fact, we're working on a puzzle right now. We don't want to get off on this on the podcast too far, but the thing is virtually impossible. And uh, if you're out there and you're on the podcast, you want to come by our house and do a tw about 20 pieces, we'd really appreciate it. But that's another subject. Nevertheless, we enjoy doing even simple things like that together. Uh, we get hooked on uh, some shows that we watch the series together. Uh, and particularly, uh, I think I sort of default and let you pick most of those because I want to watch something you're going to enjoy. And I can, I, you know, I can learn to uh, appreciate it as well. But we've watched a lot of those together, uh, just where we'll just pick up an episode and enjoy it together and the characters and discussing them and what we're seeing. We just like to do things that are different than ministry whether it's travel 
or whether it's our grandchildren, or whether it's something as simple as a puzzle or watching a series of shows together, building that kind of relationship around something other than ministry. Now, as a part of that, uh, we've developed some questions that we teach others and that we've used ourselves that help us uh, to get our focus off ministry and onto each other and some things that might be important to us. And I'll just give those here on the podcast. The first question is, what are your dreams? Second, what are you afraid of? Third, what communicates love to you? And then fourth, what are your needs? Particularly, what are your needs right now? When you think about dreams and fears and love and needs, if you can have conversation about those things, it will almost always get your focus off your ministry relationships with each other and get your focus on just your relationship with each other. So you've learned a lot over the years, Anne, about how to communicate better these kinds of issues with me. Talk about how you learned that and then some of the ways you uh, use to communicate and talk about these things. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeff and I came from very different families, and his family, everybody talks at once, and you can hardly, hardly, <laughs> hardly uh, figure out the conversation because everybody's talking at once, but they seem to get it. Um, in my family, people were m- much more quiet, and so um, they definitely... I had to learn how to communicate my needs, and uh, that was hard for me at first. And so um, that was one thing I just had to work at because I think in the beginning when I was married, I expected my husband to uh, just automatically know what I needed. And then I realized that's kind of uh, that's an unrealistic expectation because he's not me. He doesn't have my personality. He doesn't, you know, he's not in my life uh, in that. I mean, he he's not in my shoes, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And so I had to realize I've got to communicate to him what I need. And then um, I also had to realize that my husband is not, I I was trying in the beginning of our marriage, I was treating my husband as if he were me. So I was doing things for him that I would enjoy. And um, it took me a long time. In fact, there was a book that I read His Needs, Her Needs, where I realized, oh, wow, men and women are very different. And my husband has a very different personality than I do. I'm going to have to really listen to him to figure out what he needs, even if it doesn't make sense to me, because he's a different person than I am. And so I think that was a real breakthrough in my life is learning to communicate my own needs and then also to listen to my husband's needs and respond to those needs, even when they didn't uh, always make sense to me, because obviously he's a different person than I am. And it's not just the needs you've mentioned that, but it's also these other things, dreams and fears and what communicates love and the needs, all of that sort of subsumes under that phrase you're using about needs. I think you've made just a incredibly important point, and that is uh, we make these assumptions about our spouses, and instead of making assumptions, we need to become really better listeners and then less evaluative of what we're hearing and more responsive to it. Because I know I've done the same thing. I've asked you for what are your needs or what what, what really would mean love to you right now or you know what what uh, uh, what are your dreams that we need to really be working on right now, and you tell me, and I think... Really? I mean, seriously? Can she honestly mean that? 
Now, I don't say those things out loud, of course, but they go through my mind. And I, and as an uh, and earlier in our marriage, I, I actually made base my response on those feelings. But now I've, I've grown enough to say, okay, I don't quite understand that. And that really doesn't necessarily make total sense to me. But you know what? I can deliver that. I, I can meet that need. And I can do it on the terms that she's communicated. And in doing so, uh, it's caused you to feel like, wow, I'm valued and validated and he actually gets me. And and that's a growth point that both mm-hmm. of us have had to work through. And you mentioned it at the beginning that we both came from such very different backgrounds on this that it really has made uh, – uh, we've had to make huge strides in this area particularly. Another thing you've used uh, in our relationship, which has been very helpful, and that is you'll ask me – on a scale of one to ten, how important is this to you? And and that's really important in our relationship because this will surprise some of you on the podcast that listen to me every week. But um, I can tend to be outspoken and forceful about almost anything. And so I come across sometimes like everything is a ten to me. And Anne was constantly trying to respond uh, in that level of response, and it was very frustrating to her because she would make these heroic responses, and I would hardly notice. And finally, she said, she started asking me when I would communicate something, uh, Jeff, how how important is this to you? Is this like a one? Is it a five? Is it a ten? I mean, how how big a deal is this? And sometimes I would say, Oh, well, it's like a two, and she would think, Oh, okay, because I make everything sound like a ten when I'm talking about it. And of course, I'm just the opposite. I make everything sound like a two. <laughs> exactly. And so he's had to. I've had to remember. I've had to remember this as well. To if it is important to to say so, and uh, if it's not important to say so as well. Exactly. And that little tool that you mm-hmm. came up with somewhere, you know, put mm-hmm. it on a scale. What put mm-hmm. a number on this? You know, just help me know how big of a thing this is. Has really helped us to understand how to communicate and understand each other's needs better, each other's fears and dreams, and what communicates love, and and to really understand uh, how to build our relationship around something other than ministry. Well, on these two podcasts last week and this week, we've tried to talk about what makes ministry marriage work. And as I said in the beginning, uh, Start out by doing the things you tell everyone else to do in their marriages. That's the foundation. And then recognize that while there are some unique challenges, and we've spent two podcasts talking about them, ministry marriages are not the only marriages where the occupation or the profession brings unique challenges. So let's get over ourselves just a bit and recognize that we're struggling just like everybody else is to make our marriages work in the context of the assignment, vocation, the task God has given us. So in the context of doing that, I've challenged you to be yourself and the couple God made you to be, and Anne has helped illustrate that so beautifully. We've challenged you to set boundaries, separating your ministry and your personal life, and by doing that, maintain a healthier emotional balance. We've then moved to the idea of managing expectations, particularly in the areas of money and time and emergency response, so that you have realistic expectations and you're less frustrated and angry and and uh, disappointed when those expectations are not met. And then finally, nurturing your marriage around something other than ministry so that you don't just talk church or seminary all the time, but that you have interests that you share, conversation that you share, experiences that you share, and something that gives you a sense of nurturing your relationship other than the ministry work that you've been assigned. 
We've been married for 42 years. We like to jokingly say about 40 good ones. We do not have a perfect marriage, but we do have a healthy marriage. We have a growing marriage, a loving marriage, a stable marriage. We have found ways to make ministry marriage work. You can do the same thing. Put these practices into place that we've talked about on these two podcasts. As you put these things into place, it's going to give you a healthier relationship, a stronger relationship, and a better foundation from which you can do this important ministry work God has assigned. Do it for the good of the kingdom and for the betterment of your marriage as you lead on. <laughs>